Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the front porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? Good. It's been a been a really pretty great. Well, mixed. Let's put it that way. Mixed. It's been mixed. it's been good for me personally. Uh, went on some like weekend beautiful days, so went out on some mm-hmm. just like a day trip up to Indy. We kayaked on the canal, Sydney and I, and mm. you know had it just a walking around type thing out outdoors. Beautiful Sunday, hardly anybody out relatively, right? Sure, sure. Um, and then walking through buildings with with masks on. But we went like into the like the state museum. We just kind of walked through it ish, and no one's there. It's like a big ghost town, and um, really nice, right? It's like it was very peaceful. Uh, but the the other side of that was say that is that. Uh, Found out what Friday night that uh, sadly Chadwick uh, uh, Black Panther passed away, which is yeah. Sad, sad I didn't. We didn't. We didn't put that in our notes. Uh, uh, Chadwick um, Boseman. Yeah, Boseman. Yeah, yeah. That was. I was. <laughs> it's kind of sound really stupid, but I was taking a, a a time off my brain and flipping through TikTok, and, mm-hmm. which is what I do when I don't want my brain to work anymore. For a while, sure, sure, and uh, and as you do, a, a po- like a, a someone had posted a thing, and like just saw that Chad Rick Bozeman died, passed away, and you know condolences to his family, and it's sad news. I was like, this this has got to be a bit right, and it only had like four likes or something. I was like, because it was just posted, and then I went, sure enough, to to the news, like you got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. So that's super sad. The, the dude was an incredible guy, like person, human being, yeah. Uh, yeah. wonderful man and then incredible actor not just for black panther but for many of his other roles was just phenomenal it's one of those like he almost like heath ledger type things you know we're like wow Mm. this is somebody who's got a lot to contribute to the art and the craft and people and yeah and he it was he had had a um a sort of what's the word i'm looking for protracted uh uh battle with cancer since like 15 or 16 which i don't think i don't Anybody or a lot of people didn't know. I, I did not. Right, right. And, and he evidently filmed like all the Black Panther stuff when he was ill. Yeah. Which, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I will frame Impressive. it from the, the way of a Black Panther type thing. I know that, um, you know, when you get a, a role like that and um, a Steve Rogers type, a very equivalent of Steve Rogers. I think those two characters are mm-hmm. are so similar in kind of their what they bring to people and 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 stories and humanity of this good solid moral centered person that the superman ish type character you know where you you Mm -hmm. need a baseline of goodness and what right is um and the black panther is definitely one of those guys and that to pull that off takes a certain person right Sure. And I think sure. that I never would have ever in a million years, 10, 12, 13 years ago, thought that Johnny Storm from the horrible Fantastic Four movies would be <laughs> one to do Steve Rogers. But I'm completely wrong. You know, they, I, I, he is an amazing person to, to play that. And so was Chadwick Boseman. So to see that happen, I, Sydney was like, there's nobody that could do that. There's I don't want anybody else to kind of look up to in superhero for for leader of wakanda right you know yeah yeah and 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 i know it can be it's just a it's just a character that he played but he brought to that role that which we what people need when you watch superheroes and read comic books you know 
Yeah, and and did a thing that you know a lot of a lot of white people talked about, but um, portrayed that kind of character that that Steve Rogers, you know, pure good hero to an underserved demographic. Oh, for sure. Right? Gave gave um, people in that in that group that kind of I mean similar to Wonder Woman um uh, and, and you know that that's one of the things is that the, those characters in comic books have kind of been those things for those underserved populations for a while and to see them you know put out there and and have something good honestly be the right thing that everyone needs and wants for what they were created for and what they are to the comic books right. I guess is a hard, very hard, difficult thing to do. And, and we give Marvel the and Kevin Feige a lot of praise for that stuff. But, um, the idea of casting the proper and amazing actors and actresses for the roles is probably the most important thing you could do. I think at, at Marvel or the most successful. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like, it seems like that kind of, you know, good heroic paladin kind of character would be easy to play. But, um, because they're, you know, uh, straightforward and often can be simple, uh, if if that's the right word for that. Um, but it's it's difficult to write and and act in a way that is um, is believable. Yeah, right. You know, and and mannerisms and deliverance and posture and and you know, it, you get a lot of. Um, Times you'll watch those, I don't know, those the, these kind of characters, and they come off as condescending or preachy right. or, you know, this is the way you need to be instead of... Real, like, um, you know, the stereotype of the a-hole paladin. They're like, you know, a, a, a lot of times that, that paladin kind of character is... Um, um, it's a little bit of a spin on the... On the uh, catholic inquisitors right like spanish inquisition yeah right um kind of thing so you know you 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 get chadwick to to play um this 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 character and and really bring to the role the way he delivers a line the way he looks the way he's empathetic but um real and a person but does still the lines are written for him but the way he says them to people and when he smiles when he gives the right thing on a jokey thing and you know, delivering the, the you know, he, there's a scene I, we, I watched again, Black Panther, which I think, by the way, a lot of people did this weekend because Disney Plus was <laughs> having issues with mm. that Black Panther playback. Um, sure. But the um, there's a scene when he's talking to his sister, Sherry, in the her lab or something. And it's kind of a lighthearted, jokey thing where they're, I think of it as the, the M from James Bond. Right, thing. right, for sure. And uh, um, he, you know, he's just... He's a in one scene before he's this leader king to be type person, this awesome badass superhero, and then this next one he's uh, a a brother who's joking with his sister and smiling and and they're laughing and just doing little silly things together, and that's great with her, and it's also great with him. Like it's the actor that does this. It makes me feel great about this person, right? Whatever he's doing. So yeah, I, I didn't want to spend a whole lot of that that, but it, it you know was it kind of really bummed. Really bummed me out and bummed a lot of people in the, the, over the whole world out, and it's it's sad. And yeah. like, I can't imagine his for such a good dude in real life and the way he did his family and loved ones, you know, missing him more than we could imagine. So, con not just condolences, but 
no, I, my heart goes out to people. And, and to give his contribute, you know, recognize his contribution to, to the world of cinema is, is great. I, I still look yeah, back at, yeah, as we said, Heath Ledger. Culture. Like, what, what else could he have done? He su- started surprising me as his career rolled on. And you just think, wow, what else more could there have been, you know? Yeah. Hey, so, side little note. Um, I, I'm just curious. You know Prince, right? The guy named Prince? The, 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 the artist uh, formerly formerly known as Prince. Right. Yeah. I was never a huge fan of Prince. He's fine. Believe it or not, my grandma mm-hmm. was a huge Prince fan. Um, did he he did he pass away recently? Yeah, he I did. Like, like in the last couple of years, think, right. which is that, that yeah, that's yeah. where how this rolls in. So he was a big artist, right? He had this little mm-hmm. thing. Uh, I went and watched. Um, oh, Silent Bob. What's his name? Uh, Jay, from Jay and Silent Bob. Kevin, Kevin Smith. Smith. Kevin Smith. I can't see him talk about 10 years ago at, at IU and he is just a, a, a presentation talk he gave and he had this whole story about how he would go to Prince's house and Prince had recording material set up throughout his whole house, like even in his bathrooms and he's constantly okay. recording everything. Uh, <laughs> and, and he would tell him, he's like, because inspiration strikes him wherever and he wants to be able to immediately record it. Okay, sure. Which is cool. Um, but I'm leading into this, so bear with me here as I talk this. And okay. he uh, he evidently recorded things and fully produced music and albums uh, in his own production facilities that he had in his mansion or whatever. Uh, right. And then he would lock them away in what he called the vault. And they were never for anyone. They were like he wanted to make a thing. And who knows, maybe he just like... He just wanted to express how he was feeling about something and he wrote it into a song, right? And it wasn't necessarily to make money or to do anything, so he just put it away. Um, and when he passed away unexpectedly, you know, we, we're all like, oh, that's terrible. We're, we're going to miss Prince music forever now, right? We're, his portfolio of Prince is done, yeah? Mm-hmm. But yeah. his estate and family could not get into this vault room. It was just a room, but it had like a keypad lock on it. So they had to oh, have man. like some. It's per- like uh, it's like Ready Player One. Yeah. Somebody had to write just the right melody that would open the. Uh, just, no. Right. So they had to. Well, and fortunately for them, they just got a professional locksmith. Uh, but mm. he would. He people. I guess they opened it up, and there's pictures online where you can see that uh, the the his the estate said that they have enough uh, music of his fully produced that they can release an album every year of his for the next century. That's how much music wow. he has in there. That's, that's wild. It's wild. And you can go, you should go like Google that and you can see his vault. It's like a long columns with, um, file drawers all the way up to the ceiling of music and, and albums. And he's got videotapes even of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know that's a thing. Like all you have to do is watch a couple of certain musicians, uh, um, you know, behind the music or documentary or something like that to know that uh, it doesn't take much at all for a an artist to be unsatisfied. I mean, this goes back to classical art, right? The mm-hmm. the thing where um, uh, Da Vinci never, never delivered the Mona Lisa. Like, it was never finished to him. Yeah. And I think that's the story. I'm not an art history major, but um, that idea. So, yeah, it, it reminds me... That Prince thing reminds me a little bit. Uh, now, I assume you're familiar with uh, 
Phil Collins. Yep, yep. But doom, but doom. And his work. Right? Yeah. yeah, the the gated <laughs> drum. Uh, <laughs> I'll link a YouTube video. There's really fascinating uh, history of that of that gated reverb drum technique that he he and um, uh, Peter Gabriel and I think another producer like invented almost by accident <laughs> that became like the sound of pop music in the 80s right. for almost a decade and then has come back in the last five ten years but anyway uh he you know started out with the band genesis and then eventually branched out to do solo work and he wrote a lot of like really kind of sappy love songs right yeah or breakup songs or or whatever <laughs> he was, he um, was the, the taylor swift of his day kind of kind of and he had this i forget the details of the situation whether it was his wife or his girlfriend, like he went through a bad breakup and somebody gave him a, or he had already um, a synthesizer, keyboard um, synthesizer. And he wrote, he, he spent a couple months like shut up in his house and just wrote out his feelings in, in music and song. And for the next like 10, 15 years, um, any of his songs maybe not all of them but a lot of his songs that hit really big on the charts were songs that he had written at least in part in that era in this one breakup like he kept going back to this well to draw from these really heartfelt emotional songs because they came out of a place you know of deep pain in him yeah and then you know resonated with people listening to him i i'd say that i mean it's uh whole thing but I, so i was really heavily involved in like music i guess for my through high school and college uh, years okay early 20s and late teens or late mid to late teens but not like like radio music i was i was a musician i was a music major i played the saxophone the bass clarinet i played a lot in the wind ensembles and and i did all of oh, we're were you a band nerd? I was definitely a band nerd, obviously. Okay. Definitely was. How did I not, not never know that? Oh, yeah. You could tell that you and I didn't know each other when we were young. You know, <laughs> right. We as adults in our 30s, right. late 30s. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I did that. I I pledged a national music fraternity. It was it was like a, the heart and soul of kind of the things that I was really, really into then. Um, and it, it, it almost takes, I don't want to use the word spiritual, but it takes this like very deep soul type understanding when you begin to really like in in uh envelop yourself in that right and and music music is uh something that re you know reverberates emotion and is expression of emotion and when you play an instrument some people play an instrument which is their voice right because they have mm -hmm. the abilities or the natural genetics to that their sound or their voice can reverberate in a way that's pleasing to them and can pass those informations on others can do it through instruments through piano or you know, a, a saxophone or a flute. Um, so when you, I know from personal experience, when you are able to express emotion through sound and music, it allows you to kind of like speak a language, right? It, it really does. It allows you to yell or cry or scream out if you're sad or be very upbeat and dancey and happy when you're happy in, in ways that you can't just express necessarily by talking. Or by yeah, emoting. I mean that's 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 one element of all of the various forms of art 
that we have like yeah. we've we've narrowed the definition of art down to this really specific yeah. thing with like painting and sculpture and we're, but it's it's all part of it music and and poetry and film and um you know the theater like yeah. all of those things and and you can tell when someone is able to express that through that and and you know people like taylor swift get a lot of of uh, you know heat because they're like oh she's putting another thing about her breakups and her boyfriends you know but but (laughs) i don't know her or much about her history but i would assume that you know that's she has an ability to like you said tap into the well of what she wants to say and speaks to and and it's her her voice so to speak her expression of her emotions or Phil Collins, like you said, it's the things that you could mm-hmm. just do. Or Prince, when he would say, do these things. And, and those are personal things. And sure, sometimes they can commercialize those and pass that on as your job. But, you know, some artists just do their art so that they can express themselves. And a lot of times we will have some of the best creativity and artistic work on the planet from those things and those people. Um, so, yeah, that, that's. I can get that. I can feel how how an artist can come come to those wells and and feel those emotional things. And um, it's cool that we'll we'll have like Prince art for well after he's gone. You know, it's like yeah. having Heath Ledger. Yeah, it's like Heath Ledger movies for the next year that he we didn't know about. You know, yeah, like his his legacy that Chadwick Boseman sort of that sort of ties into our movie topic this week. So. Why don't we, do you want to jump into that? Yeah, let's do it. So we got, we got a big one, heavy-ish, kind of heavy-ish. Yeah. This week we watched uh, Stanley Kubrick's 1971 uh, crime sci-fi drama, A Clockwork Orange. A Clockwork Orange. Okay, so we're... This is a, um, this is an adaptation of a book by the same name. Written in, I want to say like 1968. Okay. Um, it's I, a dystopian future. Yeah. Go ahead. I wanted to. Uh, I, I like how you were pulling up uh, IMDb. I'm actually, what I'm pulling up right now is my okay. Discord <laughs> conversation that you sent me when you were watching this, and and because I liked what you said here, it says this might be the worst Kubrick yet. <laughs> yeah, I. I sent that I sent that probably 10 12 minutes in. <laughs> um, sure. When when we were seeing our second sequence of um sexual assault. Second, not uh, not one, but but now we're on Yeah, our there was one there was one about 6 minutes in and then another about 12 minutes in. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Um it's in retrospect I see what that was doing for the story. You're really supposed to understand how horrible Malcolm McDowell's character is. Uh, I still, even in 2020 as a, you know, adult f- capable of, you know, seeing whatever and not, you know, whatever. But I was like, ah, I don't, I don't need, I don't need all this. Well, excessive. that's great that you said that. Um, because that, that I think it, how do I say this? That is, I had to go read. I had to read after this movie because honest to God, I'm going to put myself in line and everyone can criticize me for saying this. I had no redeeming qualities about this movie at all. Why I liked, I didn't even, couldn't even come close to liking it. This was one of those things I would put a one or two out of 10 on my 
movies to watch. Mm -hmm. And I had to go like, this is on a top 100 and I know people write thesis papers about it. And it is a, a, a cinematic moment in history why what am i i am clearly blind and and missing some key <laughs> mechanic because i'm not just saying that i maybe i can get it i had no care i could not vi- find anything and what there seems to be a lot of things but one one main kind of things that goes around is that evidently this movie um and we're not in spoilers or yet anything is so um shocking that yeah. that it in would you say it was 1971 that it 71 it allowed it was the first time that an artist could put something out on there so audacious and so like violence and mm-hmm. I'm going to use air quotes real that it it, right. it was he was his way to express what he wanted to say and 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 you and not be hindered by um, societal norms or whatever like he wanted to show rape he didn't want to just like infer rape or he didn't want to like kind of use dialogue to say it he wanted to show it and 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 spend a whole thing and he wanted to show murder and he wanted to show you know evil and things like that and he wanted to not just mess around and he did it the reason people say it was such a big thing in cinematic history one of the reasons is because it, it it allowed all movies from then on to be able to you know, express themselves any in a realistic way that they wanted to do because of a Clockwork Orange. Now, I don't know if I believe all that. Sure, that's a bold claim. It is a bold claim. I mean, I mean, somebody has to do something first. So, I mean, you know me. I I try to I try to look at things from the other side, mm-hmm. play devil's advocate. That those arguments are not dissimilar from um, the interviews George R. R. Martin had when. Um, um, Game of Thrones yeah. was being made. Yeah. This idea of you know, hey, when people have sex, they are naked in real life. Yeah, like all of this start. And I, I can appreciate that perspective. I can also appreciate the difficulty of, um, of communicating through implication. Right. Yeah. It's it's easy from practical terms, probably not from legal and logistical terms, but it's easy to show someone naked on film. Like there's yeah. a whole industry of amateur uh, pornography, right? right. right? Industry is maybe not the right word for that. Um, it's more difficult to make yourself understood. I mean, it's, it's just like in language, right? Yeah. I can tell you something directly, right? I can say, I think this guy is an a-hole and that's, a thing but if we're in a diplomatic kind of setting or whatever where you have to you can't be that direct you have to make your point you have to get your message across more subtly so that people listening other people listening in maybe can't tell what you're trying to say like that's more difficult and so i can appreciate the the effort and the and the sort of craft of doing that. Um, so I see, I see both sides of that. Let's, um, I mean, it's hard. It's weird. I don't, I, 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 I think we're going to, I think we're no real spoilers. Yeah. We here, could, right? we could, we could sort of go into spoilers. This is a 40 year old movie. Um, and I don't think of oh, almost 50 year old movie. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think our, our reactions and conclusions are going to be pretty similar to it, but, um, 
yeah. if you've if you've not seen this and are interested in seeing it and don't want to be spoiled, uh, you shouldn't listen anymore. So I'm going to hit the bell. Yeah. So um, I, I will say, and as I said in the pre-spoiler section, um, I'm putting myself out there for you know hardcore film people, history people, and stuff as probably. Mm-hmm. I've done in the past putting my my opinions on a you don't, he doesn't know anything, but this made me put the nail in the coffin for Kubrick for me. I, he is probably my least favorite of all directors. I would rather almost watch sometimes if someone said you want to watch a, a Kubrick movie or this new college kid who just put out this new uh, game night movie. I would probably watch that instead. It, it Kubrick movies I don't like. It feels so pretentious in almost everything that he does. And mm-hmm. when he puts out a thing, it feels like, look at this because I'm making art, not because it's good or it's got a good script or it's interesting or it's whatever. It's just right, because he's right. doing this thing that you should it's, see is awesome. You know, it's the same. It's the same. That's the same sort of general sentiment that I've started to get about Wes Anderson. Sure. Except, except that a Wes Anderson movie, I just feel a little lost and generally <laughs> confused. And while I definitely feel lost and confused watching Kubrick films, there is definitely this, like, this very real sense of shock. Like, in this movie, more than either uh, 2001 or um, The Shining. I think those are the only other two that we've seen on this list. Um, and The Shining had was the most coherent of his movies that we've seen. Like it had a yeah, kind of a story. Yeah, so so there's probably something to be said for source material. Um, I don't know what 2001 is based on. Obviously, The Shining is based on a Stephen King novel, but it's having, you know, I read the novel. Um, we talked about this in the, in the Shining episode. Um, the movie is very different. I mean, it's not very different, but like the ending is different. And just the adaptation to film means you can't do things the same way that you can in a book which is just how adaptations work. Um, this this movie's based on a novel, a dystopian future, and there's a whole genre of those um, dystopian novels like 1984, Animal Farm, some of those that yeah, are When in either... the future did this... Like, it didn't feel like it was in the future. It wasn't no, like it's, sci-fi it's, at all. It's near, it's near future, right? So it's not a... You know, sometime in the future, we're going to get AI and they're going to take over. It's more of the 1984 kind of at some point, our political system is going to get to this point and, um, yeah, and things are going to be bad in this way. Th- that that, um, that whole thing felt like an, that right there, what you're describing feels like a big, this movie uses it as a big excuse to, to make irrational statements. Like every time they started doing some of the things in a clockwork orange, I almost eye rolled like, come on, think it through a little bit. If this kind of thing happened and, and they were in the papers, whatever, come on. Right. It's yeah, it was just, I don't know. It was so unbelievable. Yeah. There was so much that was and so, so unbelievable. And so you get a little bit of this, like, I can't imagine this being too much different, but I'm sure that this sense of like capital A art, which again, we talked about it in the 2001 episode. Yeah. yeah maybe maybe engendered a different kind of reaction in the 70s the 60s and 70s than it does 50 years later like we've seen so many things that could be could be considered more art that are more um 
more palatable, more relatable. Like oh, um, some, um, um, what's the other guy? Ba- uh, Nolan. Like some Christopher Nolan movies mm. are, I don't, I don't know many that I would elevate to the capital A art in terms of being like incomprehensible, like you were talking about with music, where it yeah. can't be discussed and conveyed. Like there's a point, I think, with most Christopher Nolan movies where you could watch them a couple times through and have a clear enough handle on them to explain it. Um, yeah. And, you know, so so maybe Wes Anderson is more in that. I don't really want to bag on Wes Anderson because I know he's very popular and people people like his the same thing his with work same yeah. yeah same same thing i know that as recently as 2005 the novel that this is based on was still on a 100 best books of all time which has Man. to be kind of a short list like once you get past diary of anne frank and i don't know some some charles dickens probably hmm. uh there's a whole list there to put things on and there's a sense of there's a there's a big difference between having something in a book and seeing it on on screen, right? When you're reading a book, yeah, you perhaps. can kind of gloss over stuff. Sure. Um where in a movie, you're subject to the movie's pacing, right? Whatever the characters in the movie are doing, they're do- it's a little bit like an audiobook, but you also have to see it, which makes it a little bit meta, right? If you consider the second act um and like the the character the Malcolm McDowell uh um main character Alex is subjected to film the same way that the audience of Clockwork Orange is subjected to the first act um, sure right in a weird sort of and so i can see real like you know between the two of us i'm generally the more uh academic in terms of talking about movies mm-hmm. but even for me i'm like okay i see i see what you're seeing there um and but it's often stretching so far it's making you like bend over sideways to really try to see it from that angle right like right you could have done it way and we've seen it a million times before then so it's not like this is the first time we've seen people convey emotions or thoughts and and give what they want to say and not require the audience to really you know bend their eyes and their their thoughts to 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 see what you're seeing like yeah i i wrote down i wrote down a lot of of notes as i was as i was watching this there were some kind of interesting things the language that they use it's called um nadsat okay it's uh it's the way the book was written at least the way these characters talk in the book it's a it's a combination of england english russian and cockney rhyming slang mm-hmm. and it's there's a word for it. it's like ergot or something where it's not a language it's and it's not an accent it's, it's like something in between it's like a slang that's specific to this group this this sociopathic youth culture where they talk this way that it's almost like code okay. um you know a little bit like Sure. Like urban dialects we saw yeah. in um, Boys in the Hood, yeah. um, stuff like that. That was interesting. Um, I I was sort of fascinated by the aesthetic of the quote unquote future of the seventies, as contrasted to like the future in the sixties from two thousand one. Yeah, 
or or the future in the 80s that we saw in back to the future part two yeah um it, it was or back just, to the future two i should say it was, it, i don't know it, n- and and that's <laughs> and and that's all of that is me like looking for things looking for things of any kind of like anecdotal or interesting (laughs) like the and and then the closest to like being praised as a film that i can say is um this sort of meta thing like i have a note in here that says disturbing images over classical music and that was not i didn't write that in the second act when he's undergoing the treatment Mm -hmm. i wrote that in the first act when he picks those girls up at the record store also you probably didn't catch this, but when he's at the counter at the record store, the soundtrack to 2001, A Space Odyssey, is uh, is on the shelf oh, in front funny. of him. I'm like, oh, that's a Kubrick uh, that's Easter Kubrick, egg yeah. there. But I, like, yeah, they I, do this fast. He takes them back to his room and they go through this whole, um, you know, sexual encounter sped up over classical music. And I'm like, why are we seeing all these disturbing images over classical music? And I didn't connect it until talking about it now but of course that's what happens in the second act and so i think some combination of the book being very successful i know the the wikipedia entries on this on this book and this movie say that the book has four parts and the movie only shows three of them and supposedly in the fourth part in the book um alex's character becomes fully like reformed uh, fully uh, you know he he loses all of his um sociopath uh tendencies yeah. and kubrick didn't like that it was too too fairy tale too unrealistic for him um and so he he left it out which leaves the movie kind of the ending is it's not incomprehensible like the ending of 2001 but it's still very like snarky um, where dystopian novels like this don't usually end on a snarky note. Like they usually end on, on some kind of dark, hopeless kind of like if this, if we go down this path, like there's no turning back and eventually the pigs will be just like the men and no one can tell the difference. And you you just feel kind of hollow and sad because they're, they're usually cautionary tales, right? You're supposed to learn what to, you know, it's a slippery, slippery slope argument. Yeah. And and so, th- those are all. It's funny. Sounds like stretch reasons, even that you're doing again that whole bending over backwards to try to find things. And when I read about it, it feels this after my research afterwards. Still felt even while reading about these things, the stretch bend over backwards to try to do things because the things that you're mm-hmm. not you, but like people who watch this movie seem to completely forget is that the dialogue is terrible, the acting is awful the the directing is bad the everything about it is not great it's not a fun thing to watch or not a entertaining thing in any way it the the words that are said while it has like like that the language thing that was kind of sure i that i can kind of see but it's so dumb like when when he <laughs> i'm trying to think like when he goes into that person's house that he had raped his wife and put him in a crippled thing like the the acting from the guy Malcolm McDowell is just awful and over the top, and then the mm-hmm. acting from the other guy is terrible and something like out of a a theater troupe that's brand new. You know, all of it was terrible. It was terrible framed. It was it just was not good. And I'm like, oh, he's doing a whole lot of capital A art here, but it's mm-hmm. awful. 
Like least ha- <laughs> least have a good a good actor. I mean, I, I'm not putting him down as an actor. At least in this role, he was, I didn't think he was great. Deliver some lines that make you think things. Or there's a lot of better actors out in the world that are would do this better justice or something because this is just feels like an amateur type thing. And, yeah, and that's just one scene, but all of the scenes are like that. Right. And right. I'm like, I'm, this is not I'm great. somewhere in the, I'm somewhere in the middle on that. Like you're, you're definitely right. I kept thinking that with all the framing shots and the like camera panning from thing to thing, those were those times where I was like, Oh wow, this is so late sixties. Yeah. You know, I call it, I call it future of the seventies, but it's 71. So it's really late sixties of like plywood and um, just that, that, madman aesthetic but but with the like bohemian oh man did you uh, did you notice that the, the his family's like his mom and dad's house like his whole house when he's in that scene when he comes back and there's again so stupidly weird that they have a, a roommate come in and take mm-hmm. over like that whole scene is idiotic and um i don't know why they have it but i mean i kind of do but the, i was distracted by the aesthetic of the whole house in the room. There's like these the house, really, metal walls. Really bright. And so I think, I think some of the, while you're not wrong about the <laughs> acting, like it's, it's all very, it's all very awkward. And I don't know if the, I, I think some of that is just the time, right? Like if you don't, um, but there, we've seen things in the sixties that are much better acted, much better directed. Things in, we, even in we, the fifties that were better. We have, I think, I think those are the exceptions, right? The things that last. You don't see, you know, all of the other Western actors who were doing silent films with audio, uh, and and contemporaries of John Wayne. Like people only see the John Wayne movies, and even some of those now, you look back and you're like, "Am I supposed to be able to follow this plot? This incomprehensible plot?" Yeah, but they had. Um, but you know what? The world had great actors and great directors putting out great movies before then like you, if you watch we're talking about audrey hepburn and we've seen that's know, true uh, that's true you know frank sinatra and in the, the nuances that they give to their performances and we watch casablanca and all of the little ways that they do things and the way it's shot and the messages that they give but they give it subtly and and they're doing some a art stuff in there and it's great so 71 does not feel like it deserves the right to be to forget everything just because it's old. I'm not saying you're doing that, but some people do. Like, oh, in sure, history, sure, sure. Yeah. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I I can't entirely hold that up to a modern standard because I'm thinking about like some of the some of the delivery in lines, and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there um, <laughs> of of um, Carrie Fisher and. Um, shoot you know who i'm gonna say Harrison um, Ford or a, a little bit but not as much um luke uh, why am i drawing a blank mark hamill. hamill yeah um just really whiny kind oh, of, of course awkward yes. delivery so uh, anyway the but, but the they other don't, but they don't the, pin, that like those shows aren't pinning the entire show based on those like where they based is, on the performance right? right there are all these special effects and stuff that and music and and genuinely good acting to kind of offset this i think another thing you're probably dealing with with a clockwork orange is a kind of thing where and i i know the name malcolm mcdowell i don't know what other things he did but i think that he went on to be um a very successful actor Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's why i feel bad like i don't want to put him down i didn't 
Yeah. I didn't recognize anybody else in this movie. And I think you have an element of um, that sort of thing where, and this is going to be super judgmental, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, the kind of actors who will do uh, at least probably up until like five, 10 years ago, pre game of Thrones mm-hmm. actors that would do nudity in movies were usually not very good actors. Yeah. Right. Like sure. they, they were compensating for a little bit. And so I think the kind of acting talent that Kubrick was able to, to get to do this movie with these scenes and these depictions and, and all this stuff were probably not the best. Sure. Right? That's a, that's a weird, no, no one wants um, to, to be n- nude. It's a, it was back one, then, definitely back then a career killer. Yeah. Another sort of, I don't know, quote unquote, interesting anecdote is that in 1973, just two years after this came out, it was banned in the UK and it was Kubrick who had it banned. Um, It's interesting, too, that the movie is I mean, it's based on the book, right? The book is set in England, so the movie is, too. But Kubrick was American. Um, Malcolm McDowell, I assume, is Scottish. But um the the justification given and i didn't read into this in depth it was just a line in the wikipedia um there were critics accusing you know it's it's the thing we say now or and hopefully people aren't saying as much about video games right violent video games making the children violent yeah um saying that this movie about violent teenage delinquents which in the book the main character was 15 and Kubrick made him 17 to make it a little more palatable. And obviously in a movie, you can't have a 15 year old murdering and raping. That's kind of rough. The same thing happened with game of Thrones. Well, that's kind of the point Um, was that Kubrick was trying to do, he was trying to be rough. He was being mortal combat. Right. Right. And so, and so his, his thing was, you know, you can't say that art influences culture because, art comes out of the culture and it at, at least at the time in the 70s and i assume is still true um it had been already proven that you cannot use art to influence someone to act in a way again a contrary to their nature or whatever that's a weird way to say it but uh, he was like there's there's no way that my movie is making people violent they were already violent but because i because he didn't want that kind of heat and attention on his movie. He just banned it in the UK and was like, well, fine, just don't, don't show it there anymore. I don't want to, I don't want to have that kind of thing. And it's funny because like it stayed banned until he, until he passed away in 99, which I thought of when you were talking about the, the that's, it's funny because you know, that's supposedly one of his big things about why he makes this. He did what he did was so that it could be, he could break out and, kind of like a big thumb up thumbs up to everybody who like says you you know you can't have nudity in a thing you can't have full scenes and the fact that he got a ban is feels very much like a oh i can put it here but you know in the in the, in the shadow but not over here in the in the light and but right anyway so i don't want to complain more about it and i know that puts me on a lot of people's list of like you don't know what you're talking about from here on out ever because <laughs> kubrick is a beloved thing this film becomes beloved for so many reasons but it I'm putting myself on that list to say 100%. This is probably one of the worst movies I've seen and I've seen terrible movies. Um, but I can sit through a terrible movie 
and realize that it's a terrible movie. But when I watch a movie and people insist that it's a thing that should be treasured and loved and it's telling everything and it completely is not, it makes it even worse for me. Right. It makes it even yeah. worse. It, 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 it's not that I can be preached to you. It's okay. I can be told a lesson and, and not agree with that lesson, but still appreciate that what it's doing. This one did none of that. It did none of it well for mm-hmm. not even for just for me. I just still, after even researching and reading the, I read two senior theses for film history, people about stuff and mm. then a news article about it when it was released and a review. And I, I, I still cannot say that this i would never recommend it i would tell people to stay far away from it there's so many other things to watch and it's not worth your time um, yeah i mean and i don't that's, i know i'm being looking, really harsh i'm sorry but well. no you're you're fine <laughs> um i and i went looking for i didn't like go researching but in my mind like i'm i was trying to see what the sort of lesson because as i said earlier uh these dystopian novels are usually um cautionary tales they're mm-hmm. depictions of a slippery slope of some kind um, and I went looking for that, like, what, what are we trying to say? I mean, obviously the, this, this whole treatment process had an influence on stuff we've seen in like lost and other, t- you know, anytime somebody is set in front of a projector with their eyes forced open, like that's where this came from. This yeah, is where yeah. that came from. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't really find where the moral is like, is mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Is it a, a a serenity kind of thing where the authority is trying to change people's nature? You know, the, the there's all this religious uh, um, element that we didn't even really get into the like nude Jesus statue and or crucifix maybe um, or all of the scenes with the with the the priest in the, which is a weird like I don't think Church of England has priests and I don't think they're addressed as father if they're Church of England but. Maybe that character was Catholic. I don't know. Mm. Um, you know, that that his objection to the treatment thing with free will, like he's not the Alex character is not reformed. He's just now behaviorally conditioned to not do bad things, which, OK, maybe that's a, a topic of conversation. Um, but I'm going to be, you know, for, for once more. I mean, even though I've been playing devil's advocate this whole conversation i'm definitely more in the space you are where if you want to have a conversation about that there are so many better ways to do that i think i am fine also crossing this one off my list i think uh for kubrick two out of three is not bad um (laughs) you know i i sort of turned my opinion around on the shining because i read the book and and in college and found the movie um just a complete a complete waste a complete disaster compared mm-hmm. to the book and in retrospect i see you know that they're two different things you can go re-listen to the shining episode if you want to hear that um 2001 also i i gave it a little bit of a pass because of the capital a art um thing uh this one i guess we're somewhere in here we we switch into final sure, judgments yeah, but i talked sure. about the i talked about the the second and third act a little bit there when I started talking. So I don't want to spoil that, but really I think anybody listening to this podcast who hasn't seen this movie should pass on it. Um, if, if you have the kind of, you know, morbid fascination or whatever, then you probably would have seen it by now. Um, the, the whole first act is just an exercise in shock. 
Yeah. Right. Just all of the most the most shocking, horrific, and it's and it's intentional, but it's excessive. It's, like almost to incredibly the point, excessive to the point where, and I and I admit this that like I was I had it on in the bedroom because I knew it was an adult movie, um, not an adult movie, but you know. A, movie that i didn't want my 14 year old daughter to be watching in the living room. no, no. and yeah. and so I, I had it on in there to, to to screen it um but as it was playing for that first act i seriously was worried that she might walk by and think that i'm watching an adult por- pornographic show it was so yeah. oh, that oh, what dennis is describing is it was that intentional and that long and not like a short oh they're walking by and there's breasts it's a lot of in over this to to season one Game of Thrones level, yeah. except with 1971 uh, filming and and acting qual- so like very very rough kind of kind of and just scenes where it didn't need to be. There was almost no, but not not entirely no male nudity. So you have a kind of chauvinist uh, yeah. or misogynist um, kind of. Uh, kind of perspective yeah. or, or angle on that and just yeah and 100 yeah, and, and, and to, to recap that my final judgment without going to i didn't like it didn't like much about it it was i would not recommend it it's one of the bottom movies if i had a bottom 100 it would definitely fit on there uh but i will put a little bit of shine on it to say that yeah sure i i also understand that capital a art um is things that i don't understand with people not i mean there are things people with capital a art understand that i don't and same thing that i understand that they don't uh when you talk yeah. about that genre, that type of subject and I, sure. anyone who goes to an impressionist art exhibit and sees things splattered all over the a, a canvas and you know if that's something you can you enjoy walking up to and, and making it be something and trying to see deep meaning in paint splatter then um maybe this could you could find something in there Right, right, because the same process of you bending over backwards to find that in in an impressionist artwork is the same thing you're going to have to do here to try to find that. So I'm not saying that there isn't something in there. There could be, not, but I could not even I could not even do cartwheels upside down to find out <laughs> to, to validate it, this show. It it lives somewhere in the cross section of. Um, like the kind of horror suspense movies that people watch to just have their emotions triggered, right? There are people yeah. who quote unquote enjoy that. Enjoy is probably the wrong word, but they seek out that experience, right? Like a roller coaster or yeah. or any other kind of thrill. Yeah. Uh, the cross section of that and a very similar sort of um, uh, position in culture as the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Right. We talked about that a couple times. It's this yeah. sense of like the the culture, the proper capital C culture is this way. And this movie came in and shook it up. Right. It was just sure. like here we're doing this thing and you can see it. But I would I would watch Rocky Horror five more times before <laughs> I watch this again. For sure. For sure. Hey, hey, can we watch something more entertaining next week or whatever? Uh, yeah. That Our, so. Our poster has Memento, which we've already seen. Um, I'll, I'll link to that episode if you want to listen to an episode that I think was in our first year. Um, 
you know, sub, actually, sub if I'm 50. not mistaken, it's actually Deer Hunter is next, but we're going to skip over that one, I think. That's also yeah, really yeah, it's a holiday. it's a holiday weekend. We're going to be kind of busy. Deer Hunter is as another three hour movie. I don't think this was. I don't think Clockwork Orange. It was like two and a half. Two sure felt like it was two two sixteen. Yeah, it was long. Life, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, Deer Hunter is three hours long, and we're not going to watch Memento again. Um, instead, we'll watch a different. Um, Christopher Nolan that uh, you haven't seen. Nope. nope. Uh, Crazy enough because I've hear every friend I know has watched this. Yeah, I was surprised that you haven't seen it. But uh, we're going to watch Inception. Inception. Cool. I'm I'm a little happy to to finally you know find time carved out to watch this. So uh, I will say for the memento part uh, on this list, you can go back to our our. episode where we did watch and talk about memento before our 2020 challenge and it's that's worth uh, listening to i will say synopsis that dennis and i both uh overwhelmingly like memento and yeah and i had I believe seen it before it belongs I, in the top 100 and i enjoyed and i've seen this one before so we're going to have a similar kind of my impressions from re-watching it and your impressions from watching it for the first time cool yeah that's that that sounds fun and exciting i'm I, you know, I, I came into a clockwork orange open because I'd never seen it before and not really mm-hmm. heard anything about it, honestly. So, you know, sometimes you do that and you come across disappointed in, in what it is. Sometimes you come highly expected of happiness, you know, the, like, um, yeah. the, the, the one where they were in the trial and the jury type thing, you know, you, you mm-hmm. never know. 12 angry men is what I'm talking about. Yep. Yep. That's the one. So cool. All right, man. That was felt like way too long to complain about things. Hey, can I talk about something fun that I actually ex- experienced, I guess? Um, uh, okay. I, I have, uh, well, about a year or two ago, I think when you were giving comic books a really good, a good shot on things, you had, uh, mm-hmm. been asked, you were asking for some recommendations on, you know, what, what's besides Marvel DC things, what could I watch? And I know there was like sex criminals is one thing that a pe- someone recommended and it was really good. I think I missed out on watching, reading that one. But one other one was, was paper girls that somebody had, recommended um i was in the comic book store about two weeks ago and comics are still light in my pull list um, sure so sure. i look around for a couple of things and they had uh volume one of paper girls on the shelf for a mm. reasonable price and uh, i picked, picked it up i think that i've read that uh well <laughs> i uh, read so many comics in a short span of time that <laughs> now six months later they're all mushed together in my brain sure the the the, the I've only read two volumes at this point. So the, the short overview ish type is that it's paper girls, meaning like uh paper boys. If I said a paper boy, you know what I'm talking about? Like a, that's a newspaper person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's in that thing. Paper girls are a set of four girls who are paper route delivery girls in the eighties. And right. they get, um, it happens in like one day. Uh, everything is so far, at least that they are in the morning paper route, delivering paper out. And then weird things start to, happen in the city, their little city of, I think, in Ohio, I believe. And, um, you know, there's like time travel that happens and uh, very mystery and science fiction things happen and dinosaur pterodactyls come in and they don't know what's happening. Uh, and it's it's really cool. I just I guess I wanted to mention on the air that it's really fun. It's, I, re- I burned through it so fast. Like volume one was the whole thing. It's, I don't know, like six, seven comics or whatever bundled together um mm-hmm. burned through because it was just it's just fun the writing is phenomenal the artwork isn't like wow it's so detailed and gorgeous it's just uh stylistic almost a little bit okay um, yeah yeah 
Yeah. I and, have I have read yeah. this, but I've I've forgotten the details now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just fun. I mean, I'm I I've gotten it and I bought I immediately as I finished it, I went right straight to Amazon and bought um the second volume. And it's under ten dollars on Amazon. And there's only six volumes, which is another great thing. This is a like story. It's it's got like a beginning and an end, right? A lot of times comic mm-hmm. books are like X-Men where they run for 800 years and keep telling stories, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. But this is not that. This is a a book type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's cool that there's and it, all of the volumes are like 10 bucks is all they are. Um, so I think I'm going to end up buying all of them and, and buy one at a time and see how it goes. But um, man, for $10 for such a great story, little artwork type stuff. It's really good, and I would highly recommend it for anybody to to pick up and read. And it's not it's not just a uh, uh, you know superhero, Superman right type yeah. thing. We've read a couple of these. If you've ever read um, Invincible or which that's a superhero one, but um, oh, what's the other one that was really big? Saga. Mm-hmm. It, it has saga. A, a, saga yeah. has it has a feel like that. The artwork definitely feels like that. Um, and, and yeah, Saga is another one of those things. It's kind of an independent thing. That's really people like, and I liked it a lot where it has like, they use curse words naturally. They say F word and stuff like right, that. Right. Normal kind of speak. And yes, these are from like kids. Um, but feels like a natural type thing. I sure certainly cursed sure. when I was that age. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I like it. I just kind of wanted to say, tell everybody out there, go, go check out paper girls. It's really, I don't even know who writes nice. or anything. Uh, good, good thing. What what have you been doing? Anything interesting last week? Did you get to watch lower decks? Um, yeah, I can't we watched, remember if we watched it on Thursday. We did. Okay. We did. Yeah. Um, I miss sometimes those first. Beginnings. Yeah. It can, it continues to be, yeah, you complained about the subtitles after. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The start subtitles. Um, yeah, it continues to be entertaining and funny. It's a lot about um this one was a lot about that main uh female lead and her mother who is the captain. Yeah. Uh, Mariner. Mariner, that's right. We we, we uh, Sydney and I watched it again today for the so, you know, the, the non-subtitle thing. Stupid me thing. Uh it has the uh it had the my so far one of my favorite Star Trek things ever when she walks away and gives the uh the sarcastic Spock salute, you know, Vulcan salute. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. so fantastic. And Sid and I do it now all the time. She's like, love you, Dad. See ya. And she starts doing the, the Spock salute as she walks away. So good. It, yeah, it continues to be to be amazing, I think. it's uh, Mariner is becoming one of my favorite Star Trek characters, and that's funny to say. <laughs> is that fair? That, is that not really fair? Because do you count her? Do you count this as real Star Trek or not? It's It's so straight comedy. I love it, but... It's yeah, it's something very different than than Star Trek. <laughs> would you would you would you be okay with uh, a Discovery um, or or a, say a Picard having a special guest star and it be uh, um, like Mariner come on? Would that throw you too far? Like that? She? I don't know. The, the <laughs> tone is the tone is just so different, right? It's like. Um, it's like Q, except they're just people. <laughs> just people. You know, like Q, they get away with Q being flippant and irreverent because he's, you know, a, a god, basically. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just don't know how 
how the tone fits. Um, I did really enjoy uh, two, three episodes ago, probably not three episodes ago, I think it was two episodes ago, when they did the buffer time we talked about buffer days last week. Oh, but, right, yeah. Um, where they, they everybody pads their estimates, right, to get a real... And, you know, on the surface, you hear about that. And if you're, you know, a project manager or any kind of... that, You're like, oh, that's... I mean, maybe real project managers who are human beings and not robots um, understand that this kind of stuff happens all the time. And that's just the way that, that people work. Like, there are definitely people like the... Um, the other guy, what's his Boimler. name? Boimler, who are that kind of overachieving, like work all the time kind of thing. But most, they're the exception to the rule and everybody else needs a little bit of breathing room and, and you know, gets their stuff done. Because of course, in the, the spoilers for that episode, but they try to run everything really rigid and and competitive and the, and the ship just descends in chaos. And that's, isn't um, that kind of how... Like that almost speaks to all of Star Trek in general, which is kind of the comedy piece of it too. Like seriously, if you you take back, step back, and say what you just said, that applies to every episode of almost every other Star Trek. Like Boimler is the the, the typical crewman, right? They take everything seriously. They want to be right. a thing. Every every minute is a thing that's. But it's it's all like that whole concept comes from Scotty, right? Scotty says that in, um, I mean, he says it in the episode of Next Generation he's in, but he also says it in the movie, whichever movie that that's in. And and Kirk is like, "Do you always, do you always double your estimates, Mister Scott?" And he's like, "Of course, sir. I have to keep up my reputation as a miracle worker, or something mm -hmm. like that." <laughs> and in the movie, it's a joke, but in this, you know, this is a kind of a rare, I don't, maybe not rare. Like I, I sort of giving it a hard time to call it straight comedy because it really is straight comedy. It surely is. Um, yeah, it definitely is. All the time. But hundred percent. There yeah. are still little bits of lesson and and uh you know seriousness in there. I mean that's how that's how comedy works, right? Like it can't be it can't be laughs a hundred percent. There has right. to be there has to be at least five percent of something real well Otherwise, there's a lot of, there's some irony here and there too which is also funny that's so, true that's, that's true too which which is irony is kind of a lesson passive aggressive type thing that it's doing to you so the the whole like human thing right mm -hmm. yeah. uh yeah so Give me it, i just like it more and i almost you're right it's not necessarily star trek but I, but i almost kind of want star trek maybe the the um the enterprise one that's coming out will hopefully look at things like this and realize that, you know, we don't all have to be what every crew person on every ship has always been. And maybe you should, cause there are real people that are like Mariner, right. That have yeah, real jobs course. and do stuff and are fun and, and like to do cool things and not, you know, study physics and be Wesley Crusher. Right. Like every person that was Wesley Crusher was a teenager on the Star Trek shows are the most boring people. They're the Boimlers, <laughs> even the citizens. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and maybe shows can be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe we should put people that have charisma and, you know, fun people. Cause I would love to see Star Trek have more of those. You know, I'm trying to think, surely you might know one that's all about the Han Solo type stuff. There's been a couple of those characters that are 
Sure. Um, guests, but. I mean, Harry Kim. Oh, you can't tell me Harry Kim's the... Oh. <laughs> He, he he seems such like a Boimler to me. Like he totally is. Really? Oh, 100%. He's trying to be hmm. the best Starfleet officer since he gets on the ship. And he's the ensign and wants to be, you know, please the captain and become the captain and then he falls in with the the guy who's supposed to be the Han, the Hanso, which is I guess Paris, maybe Tom Paris. Oh, that that's who I meant. Did I say Harry Kim? You said Harry Kim. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I meant I meant Tom Paris. Okay, no, Tom Paris, um, sure. You're right. Yes, Tom Paris. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Tom Paris. Um Tom Paris was else? a little lame, but to yes. kind of follow the pattern, I I kinda wanna believe that there's one in every show. I don't think that that's true. Um let's see, I'm running my <laughs> your mental calculator through back, hey, back while you're through. doing that uh i just want you to realize if you weren't sure what other movies malcolm mcdowell is he's soren you know in the nick the generations movie oh the, right the main bad guy yeah yeah it's been a while since i saw that right but yeah, yeah i i can picture that now Th- that's him yeah i mean kirk is a little bit that way Right, like, Kirk very much is that way. Yes, he's a, he's a swashbuckling, a, yeah. swashbuckling gives gives no shits about the. And maybe that's why the I like the 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 pine Kirk so much. He is very much like that, right? Um, Riker is a little bit that way, but not completely. Sure. Right. the The first officer on on lower decks is a little bit of a Riker parody. Right. <laughs> right, right. Like Riker's there, there sits was one in the chair this, backwards. Right. There like, was one in this scene, scene in this last one where he's he's just in the background behind the captain as the captain's saying something and he's flexing his, his biceps. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Um uh, I I don't I don't think there's one on Deep Space Nine at all. I'm trying to think. Uh, no, like, all such stuffed shirts in that shirt. Like <laughs> O'Brien, they make they make a joke about O'Brien, but um O'Brien is kind of the Boimler. He's he doesn't go as hard as as Boimler in this show. Of course, not, it's comedy, so everything's a little over the top. It, of it, but. Between a little and a lot exaggerated. I, I I would not mind honestly. I would not mind if a Picard episode had a uh, you know a Lieutenant Boimler make a quick little like give someone the data pad type thing. That, right. That would that would be that would be very cool for me. To see, like, oh, there's some kind of thing that this isn't just like fun. It's a little there. Maybe there is a ship, the Cerrito, out there. Tie in, yeah, yeah. That's that's not funny, but you know, just, that would be great. Just a just a name drop of some yeah, kind. Yeah, to, to enough. So yeah, I, I I dig it. It's it's still one of those. It's half hour show that's almost a little like shiny part of the week for me to to mm-hmm. to, to see. Um, yeah, and we're we're hopefully I think going to be getting. There's been hints about uh, discovery coming in October. By the way, hmm. the, the the worry that's, is that is that um, that's next se- month. We're uh, we're are we in, in September, September tomorrow oh, after tomorrow, right? Well, uh, so I guess CBS is dropping season two of um, Discovery on on the air, like for free. Oh, okay. So so they're um, when they do that, it's almost a signal like to lead people up to hey now. If you want to watch season three, we've got we're launching it on the, mm. our paid service. Um, sure. So that's that's the that's the assumption people are are acting under. I think is that you know we'll get a season three happening pretty soon because I think it's done. They just needed to polish it or whatever they do afterwards. 
but you know, I know I know what you're looking forward to. You're looking forward to the the Enterprise show. Yeah, we'll be, of course. We'll be here in 2025. Right, right. We'll never get that. Um, <laughs> the only thing I've been working a lot on the house. Yep, um, cool. Getting close. I don't I can tell. I don't think we did any major projects. Uh, Dad and and Andrew helped him. Did a bunch of stuff in the garage. We got the overhead uh, opener. We put a new uh, mandor, as they say, a door for person to walk through, not the overhead door. Um, a lot of just painting and general last minute stuff. I did during our um, faux Gen Con, and Con, whatever weekend, I ordered a physical copy of the card game Six Nimit. I think we talked about this on the show before. Um, I finally got a chance to bust that out with my family. And it was unsurprisingly a little confusing at first because you got this whole thing with the cards and it was weird to play in real life we've only played it on board game arena where all of the the math and the and the figuring that's not like math but there's math and scorekeeping but um my youngest sister did the scorekeeping on paper like i had an app i was going to use but she got a notepad and was writing it down the trouble with that was she would get distracted trying to figure out which cards were going to go where and who was going to bust the row that she would not write stuff down when I tell her that people were losing points. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> it was like, wait, wait, what did you say? And I'm like, oh, okay, we got to back up. And, and the, but, but it was fun. Um, you know, we had a, had a good time with it. The final scores were really close, even though I've played it many times and none of them had ever played it. I still almost lost because <laughs> there's a lot of kind of randomness in that game and I'm not very good at it. Yeah, we did. Um, it feels so much like a. I I would still put that in a like a rummy category. Sure, I know it's sure. not, and it's not totally fair to that game. But it, I mean, it goes in there with like, I don't know, Rook and Uno and any of those. I mean, it's yes, perfect yes. for me to play with my family. Like, yes, it's new yes, to totally them. Agree. It's not. Yeah. It's not new. It's an old game. But um, we, I think, last Tuesday uh, game night, Cogswell had us play. Um, the advanced rules. I don't think you were in that because oh, not, I I just heard you guys not really your thing. Well, you know how the normal game plays, where your card, if it's higher than any of the rightmost cards, it goes on that row, right yeah. on the end. Uh, the advanced rules: if your card is lower than any of the leftmost cards, it goes there. So cards are adding on both sides. And I'm like, this is more random. And Cogswell goes, no, it's less random. And I'm like, okay, I can see that. But there's twice as much, like, not math, but just looking and comparing numbers that I have to do. And still, you know, where the random comes in is you don't know what anybody else is going to play. So you think, and it was weird to see this happen when we played um, in real time because somebody, you know, there's a... There's a 92 on the board, and it's one card. And so somebody plays like a 12 and takes it because it's only one point. Well, somebody else played a 93, thinking it was safe to play there. But now that 93 goes on the end and busts the row. Uh, that happens all the time. But to see it, to actually play the cards down and have people, you know, in my family, they're like, oh, you took that. I didn't know that it was going to, you know, they're mostly fine. My family's all pretty competitive, but the first time that happened, it was an accident. And so we rolled it back because it was, <laughs> you know, real life. But 
it was fun. We, we uh, I, I think I don't have any hang up for the game. I think it's a, a good solid game, and especially for the reasons you just you just commented on about it being, you know, your family can play with it, anyone can play it, and it's not necessarily uh, easy. It's not Uno. Right, it's not that. Right, it's, it's definitely more fun, engaging kind of games. There's, there's more. You're looking at all these numbers, and you're like, okay, I can play there. And then you've got, as Trotsky calls, the no whammies thing, where the cards come out, and you're like, oh no, it's that the thing yeah. with the ninety three that I just described. Right. But, but something that, and I enjoy it. What I don't enjoy with that game or other kind of games is when you get real. I'm going to use air quotes again. Real players. People, because it's a game right. that if you are a card counter and you have very good math memory, you can. That's this game is you fantastic. It's it sets it to another dominate. level. Yeah. yeah, it becomes yeah. another level. And then and then, um, but I don't want to do that. Like I don't want my head to hurt to do that because I mm-hmm. mainly because it'll put me in an analysis paralysis situation. It'll make it where right. now we're we're overthinking every little thing and it and we need a chess clock at the you know. yeah yeah so. Um, which kind of ruins the fun parts of all the things, other things you just said, like, you know, the, the, the no whammies thing. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy it when it's us just doing that, just having fun, playing right. it. If everybody's a thinking. few drinks in, people are making mistakes. Yeah. 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 That's fun. But then, but if you start playing that game with people who are like really mathing it out, it, it becomes not so fun anymore. Right. Um, For sure. Yeah. And, and, or for me, again, that, that's, I think that applies to a lot of um, games. Either, either no, you're, I mean, part, you're one of them and you, uh, and you do that and that's fun because you're also doing it, like kind of raiding in an MMO. If you're, it's no fun if you raid and have to think about gear. But if you're one of those people and you're all doing it together, it's very fun. Right? Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to play, no one, nobody wants to play an incredibly mismatched, you know, nobody wants to play David and Goliath in a in a board game, yeah. right? And, like, and that, that I mean, there's a like it, yeah. there's a game uh, our buddy Fox likes that I've been trying to get uh, him to teach, though he thinks it's better taught in person. So maybe in October, assuming we all still get together, he'll bring mm-hmm. it and play it. It's um, asymmetrical, so the the factions that you play are intentionally not balanced, and so you have to kind of figured that out that seems like a kind of thing that would be fun when everyone's learning um and then once you learn which ones are broken maybe you gotta you know i don't know i have never played it so i can't really offer any judgment on it but yeah like nobody wants to be in that position where like you're playing one-on-one basketball against michael jordan yeah and and you can feel it with six limit you can feel that like i know there is definitely probably an optimal thing to the cards i have in front of me I know that there is. There's got to be. I just not. My head's not there. Right. Right. You know? right. Um, but yeah. So uh, that speak. Side note on that. Uh, my daughter Sydney, who is 14, has discovered a new game that she is playing obsessively on her um, phone, and mm. it is a new game called Solitaire. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. <laughs> she is playing the crap out of Solitaire. Her and her friends are like, "This is the best game ever," and it's addicting. And I just keep playing it. I'm like, man, back in the 90s when. Windows came out and that was the game Windows, everyone had. Yeah, Windows most, three one. What wasn't it uh, like the re- reports that it was the biggest time waster for pr- productivity to be lost in companies for the longest sure, time? Sure, probably. Yeah, <laughs> just because they had something they could measure. I'm sure that people did other things before that. Like sure, for sure. Cross for sure. crossword puzzles and and 
water cooler conversations. I, I definitely played my days of solitaire with real cards when we didn't have like TV on much. And I've been um, speaking of mobile games. We ta- I don't think this was on the air. I think it's one of our like movie nights or something. Mm-hmm. I've I've been auditing my subscriptions to try and cut back a little bit on month. I finally canceled my WoW subscription, which. I assume means the expansion is going to come out like next month. (laughs) You'll be re-enrolled for it, right? Because I've already bought it. But um, I was looking at Apple Arcade because I've basically only played Grindstone and that puzzle one. What's that puzzle? Same here, yeah. Uh, Patterned, patterned yeah, or something. Played the crowd out of those. Both those two things, yes. And so I was looking around on there a little bit. Like, am I still? Am I playing? Like, Grindstone is really good. But is it like $6 a month good? Yeah, right, um, right. And then that got me looking around on my phone. And I started back up uh, playing SteamWorld Heist again. That's the oh, SteamWorld mobile game with game. the guns that ricochet around. Um, yep. Yeah, and it's and it's really good. Uh, I, I totally agree with that one. I, um, I played the credit of that because it just became very obsessed of... Um, it's uh the i did the apple thing apple arcade like got rid of it uh, probably a couple months ago which is probably like six months longer than i should have um right again it's five dollars a month when it came out we reviewed it and and i was all about like, I, hey dude, i like the idea of it you know i like i like having mobile games that are self-contained that aren't going to try and take my money all the time totally. but but the so apple many... arcade has not had anything good on it besides yeah those. it seem it seems to be all not all but mostly quote unquote real games, right? With yeah. like a beautiful soundtrack and works well with a controller and all that. And that's great that all of that exists. I don't, it doesn't fit my use. Like I have yeah. my phone muted all the time. The only things I listen to are podcasts and audiobooks on headphones. Like I don't need my games to have sound. I don't need my games yeah. to have a big long story that I'm trying to keep track of. Like I want to be able to open the game, play it for a few minutes. And shut it off. Well, that's that's what our our, uh, our buddy Trotsky has uh, enlightened to be about several months after it launched was that um, he's a an owner of a like an Apple TV and mm-hmm. things like that. And he said, "Oh, it's it's that whole endeavor, the Apple Games thing, is not for mobile people actually, even though it's, it's for on there. Yeah, it's for Apple TV people. I I didn't say that, but that's the same thing. Like if you've yeah. ever seen um, a game called Jetpack Joyride." Yeah. Uh it's a sort of side scrolling mm-hmm. arcadey thing yep. where you've got a jetpack. Um yep, yep. my nieces installed that on my parents' Apple TV. We got them an Apple TV and you know they play it whenever they come up here. But I have an Apple TV and I'm like, well, first of all, I don't use it very much because I watch everything on my iPad yep. or computer. Um but when I if I if and when I ever get back to a place where I have a TV that's mine, um to to use you know exclusively i'll probably go back to that a little bit but yeah i got that same sense too like i'm sure there are people playing games on their phone with a controller i've tried that it was fine Mm -hmm. um but that does seem to be more of the tv like apple trying to edge into the sort of console space a little bit um and and that's fine too but again that's not something I, I don't even I don't even have time in my schedule now to play games on my actual console by PS4. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I I did take when I went to Florida this last summer. I took um, 
uh, I put a place my PlayStation controller in my my carry on, um, and I did play Symphony of the Night with my PlayStation controller. The I've got a little like um, attachment that plays, attaches to my PlayStation controller, and it mounts the um, mm-hmm. phone like the screen at the on the controller, um, and that worked really well. And I was able to on the plane play Symphony of the Night, which is a Castlevania game, a great one, and it was good. But that's the only case that I would use it when I'm want to play a, a real game trapped for two hours in a in a on a trip. Right, right. right. And for and me, so, right. Maybe that's for good me on if, a train. If, you know. Yeah. For me, if I were in that kind of situation, I have a switch. Right, right. right. Yeah, that's yeah. It's funny you say that about controller on your on your phone. Um, I have not tried to pair my PlayStation controller with my phone because I only have one, and uh, Andrew is often using my PlayStation. But I did, I did successfully um, connect Final Fantasy fourteen to Steam and use my phone. I didn't play play, but I logged in to Final Fantasy and ran my character around to the NPC to like check my um um what are they called my followers that's not the word but whatever they're called um yeah. and like get their information and sell like do some marketplace stuff because I'm playing with a, a controller the the Steam Link app on iOS has the like virtual buttons and and analog circles and stuff yeah. I don't know if you've you've tried that um yeah 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 and it and it works i would not i would probably not try to do any kind of combat with it i could probably i could probably do some gathering profession botany or something but i I will say that and we might have talked about this i will say that it works well it's very easy to do your your playstation controller on your iphone or ios and it like super simple and it is really great but i would not recommend it for anyone who has a small phone like I always used it on an, yeah. I, an iPhone eight, and now on an iPhone eleven, and those are very large screens, which I really enjoy. But a lot of people don't; they want smaller phones. And you, I don't care how good the controller plays or how much it it feels natural. It's that's not a good thing to have on a small little screen. Right. It just it just is not. So you don't want to play. I would not recommend Castlevania at all to an iPhone six user. I don't know if you <laughs> use it on six, but um, right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I got, I got rid of it too. I before I got rid of it, I went and head back to the app, app store to look at the games that were on the the game thing, and it's still not a one of them was like, oh, I definitely yeah. want to give this a try. I'll yeah. download it and give it a try. No. They they all seem too big for mobile games for me. Too too big or 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 not interesting. Like or like they were like little mm. demos of stuff that were not right. You know, so yeah, sadly, Apple. Here we are, a year or so later, has not made that. Who knows? Maybe it's the, that their their subscription model isn't. It's it's just not what we or... it's just not what we thought it would be. Like it works for Grindstone, but clearly there's too much there's too much money for the the normal in app purchase games. You know, for yeah, guys like, like Grindstone still is something Clash. I would have paid five bucks for, right? Right. Like, sure, for sure. And I bet you they I I would assume that they would have made a lot more money, but I don't know. You know. They've made quite a bit off me because I kept paying for Apple Arcade all this time. Right, right, but yeah, but th- I don't know how that works. I mean, yeah, who knows? Who who, no. who gets that money? Like, does yeah, Apple get the I'm, money, or I'm sure they're just getting a cut of the. I don't know. Maybe they're tracking 
who downloads what and kind of... Well, the way Trotsky described it to me is that they get money per play time. So if you have Grindstone okay. up being played, then they're kind of getting a penny every then, minute or something. Then, then, they're, then they're making money off of it. Right. But, but me just having it installed or downloading, it doesn't give them any money. Sure. Um, so who knows? Maybe it was good for them, but I, I know that I got $5 worth of time or $10 worth of time. On it. So <laughs> I, I did buy um, $10 for, since we're on that topic, I bought Roll, uh, Roll for the Galaxy just recently. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. We played it on Board Game Arena. I found it was fun and interesting. Um, uh, but the problem I have with Board Game Arena is that I can't play it solo. Like I have to play with other mm. people asynchronously or like live sit down from the computer. Sure. And and I kind of want to sometimes want to play some board games like Potion Explosion or uh, Ticket to Ride um, and not have to have weight on other people or deal with other people. Yeah. And yeah. I can just quickly play through a game, lose, no big deal, learn something, move on, try another thing. So Roll for the Galaxy feels like one of those games that I could do that with. I did download it. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is also one of those games where like, you need to go through this tutorial to understand anything. Mm. So, so I just got done with the tutorial. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to take a break. <laughs> nice. nice. It's not very that intuitive for, for this to do, but I like it. Yeah. Cool. All right, man. I think we're, I think, I think we're good. I think we're good. Good this week. Kind of a light, light week as far as news and, and things to, things to talk about. So we'll come yeah. back. We, we've got a week. holiday coming up this weekend. So, do you, before we go, are you are you planning on doing anything at all for the extended I, one day extra weekend? I don't think so. My uh, my mom and my sister went to a camp thing. Their theater group they used to be part of does a camping trip every year. They took the big airstream out there. Oh, cool! So I think they're going to be gone all weekend. So oh man, you see, you got like, just just the guys does. Well, you got well, you got another sister well, there too. So. Dad, dad, and Sarah and I. So maybe we'll watch we'll watch something. Mom and mom and then them won't like. Maybe right. we can, or, find or maybe your dad will, will drag you to the house to work the entire time. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're 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 getting into the home stretch, so not too many big things yeah. left to do. But we'll see. Hopefully, not too long. I'll have some yeah. updates I, on that. I'm but. I'm going to be traveling up to the Lake Michigan area where dunes and stuff are. So, hmm. I, at least that's what I'm I, I'm planning on. We we. I, I'm intentionally making it where I'm not making plans. Like it's just to go and chill, uh, especially this time of the world. You can't really make plans to go do events or anything. Right. Right. Your, your vacations for the most part, if you're kind of responsible are chill, relax, don't plan on a lot of things, but go outside type vacations. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this, this four day weekend I'm going to be taking up here is going to be a chill one. But I don't know how much, uh, you know, game playing and stuff will go or movies. I'll have to cram in some stuff this week. <laughs> get it, get it going. Cool. All right, man. Let's, uh, let's roll her out. All right. You've been listening to The Front Porch. This is episode 158. Special thanks to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. If you like Star Trek role playing, Star Trek role playing, you can check out our other show. It is called Klingons and Dragons. That's at KlingonsDragons.com. It's a Star Trek Adventures role playing podcast. It's not safe for work. If you have questions or comments, feedback, tell us all the things we're wrong about why Clockwork Orange is still a worthwhile <laughs> masterpiece in 2020. Uh, you can reach us via email. That address is frontporchpod at gmail.com or go to our website, frontporchpodcast.com. There are contact forms there and all that good stuff. Next week, we are watching 
Interstellar. Not Interstellar. Why do I always want to say that? Inception. <laughs> Inception. We're watching Inception. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. As always, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For the Front Porch. Night, everybody. See you next time. Thank you.